Good morning. It's a big day for Cornerstone. In fact, I would say it's a historic day, right? So today we get the chance in this room to welcome our additional campus that is launching this morning, right, at River Ridge Academy, uh, our Okatee campus. So would you just give, help me to just welcome them this morning and say we are so glad that you're joining us today. And for those this morning that are tuning in online, we are so glad that you're joining us as well. You know, it's interesting as I think through that. There's two things I've been thinking about. One specifically, and I said this uh, a little over a year and a half ago when we were working on just kind of dreaming through what this looked like, and it was this, that we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And, and we are experiencing that today. We are experiencing that while we, we do make plans and we sometimes have big dreams and those types of things, but we are experiencing God directing our steps along the way. And that's why this group of folks today is meeting at River Ridge Academy, because we believe that God has directed our steps to that place. That's the first thing. The second thing that I've been thinking about, and I sent this out to our staff this morning, just in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It tells us, one, to work hard for the Lord, but the second thing is that anything that you do for the Lord is not wasted. Anything that you do for Him, another translation would say, it's not useless. And so that's, that's part of what we're, we're experiencing today, is that it, it may not look exactly like we want it to look, it may not go exactly how we want it to go, but we believe that we are doing something for the Lord, and He's going to use it. Um, in his way, in his timing, and for his glory, and we are super excited about it. So, so glad that you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. That's the very beginning of the Bible, and we are going to go through the story of the life of Joseph. And I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but it's a great story in the Old Testament. So Genesis chapter 37 is where we are going to be today. Uh, But let me ask you this question as you're finding that place in the Bible. Let me ask you this question in terms of traveling. I don't know if any of you like to travel. I I like to travel. Um, But have you ever traveled in a way where you you stumble upon a detour if you're on a road trip? Anybody ever do that? Like you're, you're on a detour and you get super frustrated when you hit that detour. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I, I like to kind of, I go to the same places sometimes, and I like to see how fast I can get there. Anybody else? Or in today's culture, you know, it's, it's almost scary how accurate the maps is in your phone when you, when you plug it in. It's like, it, you will get there at 4.22 p.m. And you're like, there's no way. I'm going to get there faster than 4.22 p.m. And then all of a sudden you look, and it's like, it's 4.22, and I made it just in time. Uh, you're trying to beat that. But I hate detours. Um, I, I actually not only do I hate detours, but I'm not a big fan of stopping along the way. Anybody else like stopping along the way? Some people want to stop and like they want to go to a sit down restaurant and they want to, you know, sit there and order from the menu and they want to, you know, and you're sitting there. If you're the driver and you're built like me, that's happening and you're like grabbing your chair under the table. Go, can we please get back in the car and get back on the road so we can get to where we're going? That's how I feel. Right? Some of you, some of that resonates with some of you. It's interesting, though, when you're, when you're walking with God, how along the way, he's not in a hurry to get you where you want to go. He's not even in a hurry to get you to where he wants you to go. Like, he's just, he's not in a hurry. And you're in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. We're, we live in a very hurried culture, right? I mean, 
we, we live in a place like if I can, I, I want to order something on my phone and I want to know if it can be delivered to me the next day, right? So I'm, I'm thinking that that's how I think and that's how I'm, I'm kind of wired. And, and somewhere along the way, what I'm realizing is as I'm following Jesus in this life, he, he's not in a hurry to develop me. He's not in a hurry to to help me become the man that he wants me to be, the husband that he wants me to be, the father that he wants me. He's just not in a hurry. In, in, in the story of Joseph, that's what's interesting when, when you look at it is you think of, we think of detours, and we think of detours in our life as an inconvenience. Ever notice that? Like they're an inconvenience. It, it's like if I can't get to where I want to get to and there's a sign and there's a yellow sign with, or an orange sign with an arrow that's telling me to go this direction instead of going straight. And you're like, but I want to go straight. Like you can't. You've got to get off of this exit. And you've got to go around because you, you can't go that way. And, and that's the way it is when you follow Jesus. He, he, he takes us on detours along the way. But those detours, you know, honestly, they're not meant to, you know, kill us. They're not meant to destroy us. The, they're, they're not even meant to really define us, right? That's, that's kind of this point that we start with today is detours aren't meant to define you. And some of us are, are walking through life and these things have happened to us along the way and they are detours and we're carrying them in a way that they're meant to, we think they're meant to define us. Like I've got to carry this and I want everybody to know about this. And God's sitting there going, no, I, I don't want this detour to define you. I actually want this detour to develop you into the person, into the man, into the woman that God desires for you to be. But a lot of us get stuck along the way in the detour because we're, we're like carrying it with us. We like consider it this badge of honor. And it's not, it's not meant to be a badge of honor. It's meant to be this thing that along the way is saying, hey, you know what, you, you probably should work on this in your life. And you're like, I don't want to work on that. You know, I don't, I don't want to learn to be patient. And God's going, but you really need to learn to be patient. I don't want to learn, you know, how to watch my tongue. And God's going, but you really need to watch your tongue. You really need to pay attention to the things that you're saying. And you're going, but I don't want to. And God's going, but, but you really need to. You need to work on this. And so he puts things in our path, and they're called detours. And, and they take us in a direction that we don't necessarily want to go. And that's the life of Joseph. If you, if you know the story of Joseph, there's so much there. And it's all, it, it, his whole life is a detour. But the, the detour is meant to get him to the place where God wanted him. And honestly, where God needed him, Right? In, in, as the story unfolds, you'll find that out. So Genesis 37 is where we're going to pick up. And, uh, and let's, just, let's just start real quick, and then I'm going to make some comments along the way. The first thing I want you to think about is this, right? I don't know about your family, but every family has a history, right? I don't know, do you, do you, does your family have a history? Does your, do you, are there things like in the closet that you don't necessarily want people to know about with your family, right? Uh, but when God is in it, and that's the big picture for today, and that's the big picture for this series, is like if, if you really believe in your life that God is in it, right, then these things will become true. The first one is this, when God is in it, your family history doesn't determine your future. Your family history doesn't determine your future, and some of us, that's a tough one, right? Because we, like, you'd want to talk about a detour. Like, our family history is one of our detours along the way. But again, I want to tell you, like, Joseph in his life, like, he, he comes from a family that was a mess. 
Just an absolute mess. Let's pick up in Genesis 37 and see if you can pick up on a few things that are happening uh, with his family, right? So Jacob settled in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, but the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, I don't know what you picked up on that right there. But, but that's a mess. That's a mess. I'll give you a little backstory if you go back. In fact, if you pick up a discipleship guide today, in there you'll have a reading plan. In that reading plan, you'll, you'll read about what Joseph's family history was like. So his father, Jacob, was in love with Rachel. And he worked for Rachel's father for seven years because he wanted to marry Rachel. Well, after seven years, he got to the wedding night, and they, they got married. And all of a sudden, he lifts the veil up, and uh-oh, it's not Rachel. It's her sister Leah. That's a mess, right? I don't know if any of you have made that mistake. I hope not. So he, he does what any good guy is going to do. He works for another seven years. Because now he wants to marry Rachel. Then he gets to marry Rachel after So 14 years, he finally marries Rachel. But then as you read in this particular account, there's these two other women, right, who he winds up having children with along the way. I don't think that ever goes well. Like, I'm just throwing that out there. I just don't think that goes well. It doesn't make for a great family dynamic. And it for sure didn't in Jacob's family. And this is, this is the family history. This is what I want you to see. Like, this is the family history that Joseph is born into right here. And so you kind of see along the way, he's, he's kind of working. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his wives, his father's wives. And, and Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, some of you, you're probably like the younger children, and you feel like that was your responsibility as a younger child, and that's Joseph's story as well. You've got you to tell mom and dad what's going on with the older kids, right? You want to make sure that they know. You're, we call it a tattletale, right? Joseph's a tattletale. He's a tattletale. He goes on. Let's go. Verse 3 says this, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Not only that, but he was also born to really the love of his life. Rachel. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Doesn't that sound like a great house to grow up in? Not really. Not really. You think about it, but that, that's what he had. Like he, he was considered daddy's favorite. And, and daddy showed them all. It's not, it's not like the little coffee cup that I send to my parents is uh, I like how we don't talk about I'm your favorite. Like I send that to my parents, right? So it wasn't that. This is a, hey, we just want everybody to know that, you're, that I love you more than any, any of my other children. And so I'm just going to give you this special, and we, we know it as the coat of many colors. So we're going to give you this coat of many colors, and so he would wear it, and I would imagine he would wear it with some sense of pride, right? 
This is what dad gave me. I mean, after all, he's, he's running back to dad being a tattletale on what his brothers are and are not doing. And so he would be wearing this in the field. Like he'd be coming out like, here's Joseph, here's Joseph. And then it gets worse. Like, remember, he's 17 years old. I don't know how old everybody is in the room, but think about being 17 years old, right? You think you know everything, right? I don't know if there's any 17-year-olds that feel that way. A lot of 17-year-olds do. Um, but it says this, as you go on in verse 5. It says, one night... Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Could you imagine? Like, I have this dream. This is, listen to the dream, he says. Verse 6, um, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And he's kind of standing, he's got his shoulders pulled back, he's got daddy's coat on, he's going, that's right. That's the dream I had. Now, they, they took dreams a little bit differently than we took dream, take dreams, right? They take dreams as a, hey, this is something that's coming from God. This is something that I'm hearing from him. This is something that he's trying to say to me. We look at dreams and think, man, I, just, I was really craving some pizza last night. I just wanted some pizza. And so they took it very seriously. Now, a couple of things you think about is, I, as I was working through this, I thought, you know, you know that statement, it says something like this, the statement that goes, you know, Everything that you say should be true, but not everything true needs to be said. You know that? You ever heard that statement? I think about that with Joseph. Like, man, there's probably just some things you shouldn't have said. There's some things. He's, he's like Peter in the New Testament. There's just some things you should have just kept your mouth shut over. But he decided that he was going to go to his brothers and say, hey, listen to this really cool dream. Basically, you guys are going to bow down before me. And his brothers responded in verse 8. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Soon Joseph, verse 9, says he had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. He says, listen, I've had another dream. Don't learn from the first time. Let's just keep piling it on. He said, the sun, moon, and 11 stars. And ironically, I have 11 brothers. They all bow down before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will, you, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come in and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture the father's flock at Shechem. When they had, gone, when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are with the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem where uh, from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are with the sheep? Yes, the man said. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and followed them there. Now think about it for a minute, okay? Just wanted you to think about. As he's, as he's walking through this, right, he, he's sharing these dreams. He's going, hey, he's, he's got these dreams. And we might look at this today and we might go, you know what? You have dreams too. And if you keep following God, then your dreams will come true. And I want to tell you, like, that's not, that's not true. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is. This is about somebody who is who's really growing into their faith. 
This is about somebody who, who's heard a little bit of the history of who God is, but he's about to find out for himself what it's really like to have God in the midst of it. And so he, he's going about life, right? He's, he's going and doing the things yes, that he's somewhat told to do with his father. He's sharing these dreams. He's telling the, them all these things. And evidently, there's more than one dream. There's at least two that we know of, but the way that he keeps talking about it, he's probably having multiple dreams that are talking about the same type of thing. And for him, like he decided, Joseph decided, like that is what God has in store for me. He just didn't have any idea what it meant, right? Or what it would look like. You got to remember at this, at this time, there, there's no nation of Israel. There, there's none of that that you find throughout the rest of the Old Testament. There's just this family and they're a mess. And he's sharing these dreams and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here's what happened with, with, with Joseph. He, he really got to the place where, where his, his identity, who he, he was, became tied to really two things. One, it, it was tied to the dreams. And the second thing is it was tied to that coat that he wore around all of the time. Because that coat for him meant what? I'm my father's favorite. It may have meant that he was loved by his father, that his father you know, thought he was better than any of his other siblings. Like, this is, this is like he's, he's wrapped up in this. And, and, and so here's the thing that you think about as you, as you continue to go through this story. When you, when you are following after Jesus, and you think of New Testament, you think of the things that Jesus said, it's somewhere along the way you have to learn God's economy. Right? I, don't, I don't know if you think about that, but you've got to learn God's economy. And specifically for you, it, it looks like this. Right, When God is in it, you gain by losing. And that doesn't make any sense to us. right? Some of you, I, I, I don't want to mention any names, but I know there are some of you that are really, really competitive people. right? Really competitive. And, and you, you don't want to lose right? You don't, it, at all costs, like I'm going to win at all costs. And that's the kind of person that you are. And, and so the idea of thinking about God's economy going, wait a minute, you mean in God's economy, I actually gain by losing? I actually gain by letting go? I actually, this doesn't make any sense to me. But yet you fast forward to the New Testament and that's exactly what Jesus would tell us, right? You gain by losing. Whoever's willing to give his life away, right? If you try to hold on to your life, you're actually going to lose your life. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, actually you gain everything. And everything that you give up for the Lord, we've, we're told, like he's going to replace it. Like those are the things that you think about in God's economy. You actually gain by losing. And it doesn't make any sense to us. And so I want you to think about Joseph for a minute in this particular manner, Right? The things that he has gained, he's somewhat secure. Like, his brothers don't like him, but that's okay. Like, because he's got dad in his corner. And so he's somewhat secure. And so this is what I want to get to and help you understand this, is, is where we go in verse 18 in this story. It says this, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him from a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns. And we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard 
of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into an empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. And Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. This is, this is what I want you to see, right? This, this next verse, verse, verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. You think about this, this idea that in God's economy, when God's in it, you gain by losing. Joseph had to lose this in order to gain what God had in store for him. Now, if you know the end of the story, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know the end of the story, then you just got to hang out with us for the next several weeks, and we'll get to the end of the story. But I just want to tell you, like in God's economy, when God is in it, when God is in your life, you actually gain by losing. You gain by losing. And so for Joseph, is is a 17-year-old daddy's favorite, wearing a coat, parading it around, sharing the dreams. I'm going to be this person that you all are going to bow down before one day. Like he had to lose that in order to gain everything that God had in store for him. And that's a hard, that's a hard lesson for all of us to learn. I don't, I don't know if any of you have, have gone through that, but you get to this place in life, right? Where, where when things begin to get stripped away from you, you, you begin to see God just a little more clearly. You ever experienced that? Right? Because when we have those things in our life, when we, have, when we have the things, maybe it's the coat, maybe it's that identity that you have, those things that you're, you're kind of wrapped up in. Maybe it's prestige. You know? Maybe it's the affirmation of people, the affirmation of family. Like You're, you're kind of wrapped up in all of those things. And, and what will happen is if you will let those things go, if you will let go of them, if you will lose them, allow them to be stripped away from your life, God has something so much greater in store for you that you will gain more than you will ever have lost. But that's hard for any of us to realize. And it's especially hard for a 17-year-old, right? Of course, we, we have the luxury, right? We, if you've read the story, you know the end of the story, so you know how it goes for Joseph. But just along the way, you got, if you want to gain... You actually need to lose. That's how God works. And he goes on, right? So they strip him of this beautiful robe that he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up. And they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Oh, how noble of him, right? Like, how noble. Instead of killing him, let's sell him into slavery. That makes a whole lot more sense. So when the Ishmaelites, verse 28 who were Midianite traders, came by. Joseph's brothers pulled him up out, out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Just for a minute, just let that sink in. Remember, remember we're, talking, we're talking about detours? We're, we're talking about how, how God, God uses these things 
So, sometimes detours, when you think about it, like sometimes detours are things that we've done. Like you've done something that you shouldn't have done along the way. Anybody want to raise your hand and say, like, that's me. Like, I've done that. I've done some things that I shouldn't have done along the way. Like you're causing your own detour in that way. But here's the beauty of following Jesus. Like when you're following Jesus and you make a mistake along those lines, then guess what? God still works that out for your good in his glory. Somehow, some way in his economy, right? So detours sometimes are caused by decisions that you've made. But sometimes God allows and brings these detours into our life. Sometimes God just beautifully orchestrates them in a way that you would never, ever imagine, that you would never, ever want to happen. And God just orchestrates it in such a way, he's like, hey, just watch this. And it's not, it's not pleasant. Listen, what Joseph's about to go through, nobody's going to wish upon him. I mean, he's going to wind up in some really difficult places exactly where God wants him to be. Why? Because in order for him to gain, he has to lose. In order for him to gain, he's got to find himself, right, in some ways at rock bottom. And I don't know if you've ever been to to this place called rock bottom, right? But that's where he found himself. As he was stripped of his clothes, and he was thrown into the cistern, he's sitting down there, and he's just in the pit. He's just in the pit. And I would imagine somewhere along the way that he was able to listen to some of the conversations that his brothers were having and maybe even crying out to them. Hey, guys, you, you really don't have to do this. You really don't have to do this. I promise I'll stop sharing my dreams with you. In fact, maybe I'll even share this robe with you and we can all just figure out a time. And everybody can wear it. You know, I don't know what he's thinking in the bottom of the pit. But when you get to the bottom of the pit, right, you're in the pit and you're starting to bargain in any way that you can. I know some of you have been there. I'll bet some of you have been down at the pit and you've been bargaining with God. You've been going, God, if you will just get me out of this, I promise that I will go to church every day and every Sunday for the rest of my life. I promise, I promise. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day, especially before all my meals. God, if you will just, if you will just. And God's going, you don't have to bargain with me. Because here's, here's what you find, right? You find that in the bottom of the pit, is where you actually discover who God is. You see, so many of us, we want to live life, don't we, on the mountaintops. We want to live life kind of soaring with the eagles, and we think, oh man, this is a great experience, and I want to stay here, and this is awesome, and those types of things. And God's going, you, you can't, that's not where you do life. Sometimes life just takes you down into the pits. Sometimes life just takes you down into these deep, dark valleys and it's in those deep dark valleys that you will discover who God really is it's in those deep dark valleys that you get to this place in your life where this faith that maybe was handed down from your parents and maybe handed down from your grandparents but I'm telling you it's in the deep dark pits that that faith becomes your own It's no longer my dad's faith or my mom's faith or even my brother's faith or my grandparents' faith. It becomes my faith when I find myself down into the pit. And I will experience God in a way, and I will come to know God in a way that I would have never come to know him if I had not been in the pit. And some of you today, and this sounds really, really harsh, and I get it, some of you just need to embrace the fact that you might be in the pit. And you need to live in the pit for a season, realizing that in the pit is where you will find and discover who God is. And your faith will be forged 
in a way that it will become unshakable as you make your way out of the pit. And oh, by the way, just in case you don't know this, when you get out of one pit, there's another one waiting along the way. Most people I know, that's what they've experienced. But your faith is forged, and you're stronger, and you know God better because of what you've gone through. And that's what Joseph, honestly, he's not quite there yet. There's a lot of refining that has to go into his life in this moment. Like he's 17, sharing the dreams, wearing the robe. Like that's who he is in this moment. But as he's refined, you will begin to see a change in him very rapidly as you go through these next few chapters in the book of Genesis. Let's pick back up for real quick in this with um, verse 29. It says, sometime later, Reuben uh, returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said. It's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. We're going to pick that up next week. I want you to think about this. Ready? When God is in it, what happens to you shapes you. When God is in it, what happens to you shapes you. In your life, as you go through things, what you have to realize is that every, every time you're going through something, what's happening in your life, when God is in it, he is, he is molding you, right? It's, that's kind of the way that Jeremiah saw it in the Old Testament. He saw, you know, God is the potter and we're the clay. And what do you do? You try to shape that clay into something and it becomes a masterpiece at the hands of the potter. And that's, that's our life. Like when, God, when God's in it, when God's in your life, right? When you're following Jesus as a New Testament disciple, like you're looking at it in the New Testament, like when, when you're doing those things, like one... It's not wasted, right? That, that redemption story is not just about your salvation in the New Testament. That redemption story is how God is using all of these things in your life. He's redeeming them, and he's molding and shaping you into the person that he desires for you to be. And, and listen, listen, the thing you got to understand is it's a process. There's no shortcuts, I wish there was a shortcut. I wish I could tell you that, yes, in order to get you to where God wants, all you have to do is, boom, go to church every week, right? Read your Bible and pray, and everything's going to be perfect for you. But I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I said that. Because you've got to understand it's like these things, like when God is in your life, like he's using these things that are happening to you to mold and shape you into the person that he desires you to be. And listen, some of, you, some of you, like, you're a tough case. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, and I mean that. I'm kind of joking, but at the same way, I know I'm a tough case. 
I'm an incredibly impatient person. I, uh, more than anybody, I want to get to point A and point B. And my family can testify to that. I remember one of the first times I went on a little trip with my wife before we had kids, and she told me she had to stop and use the bathroom, and I ignored her. Guess what? I don't do that anymore. Right? But, but it's, it takes time. Like these things, like this development in your life, it takes time to happen. It's not going to be overnight. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow and go, oh, everything's going to be great for you. No, no, no. Because along the way, in the peaks and the valleys and the pits and the mountains, he's, he's shaping you. And he's, he's getting those rough edges to where they're not quite as rough as they used to be. He's maybe got your attention in a way that, so you look at the New Testament and you look at things like be... be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. And maybe you've been getting it wrong and you've been quick to speak and slow to listen and God's going, I know, I've been trying to work. I'm working on you. I'm working on you. And you're going through some things and and, and maybe it's to get your attention to realize like what is happening in your life doesn't define you, but it shapes you. And when God is in it, like He is molding and shaping you into the person that He desires for you to be. And, and you're not going to look like anybody else in the room, by the way. Like if, if you look around the room, if you look across the room, whether you're here or at River Ridge Academy today, if you look across the room like God, you're not going to look like the, same, the next person or the person across the way. You're going to look like the you that God wants you to be. With your strengths and your weaknesses in your talents, in your abilities, all refined for the purpose of what God is doing in your life and in the world. But here's the thing you've got to begin to wrestle with. I have two questions that I just want to leave you with today, right? We're going to pick this story up when Joseph's in Potiphar's house next week. So here's my two questions. The first one is this. Do you have God in your life. And what I mean by that is, let me, let me be a little more specific going into the New Testament. You see, New Testament, what we realize is that the only way that we can have God in our life is if we choose to believe in Jesus, his one and only son that he sent into the world to die on a cross for us. And once you believe in Jesus, right, then you're welcomed into God's family, which means like God's in your life, right? He's, he's in it. He's in it. And so he's molding and he's shaping you and he's refining you into the person that he desires for you to be. So the question just goes to that, like, do you have God in your life? Meaning, have you made a decision in your life to believe in and follow Jesus? And if you haven't, man, today would be a great day for you to do that. Because I'm telling you, you'll, you'll, you'll have no regrets, because you'll begin to realize that when God's in it, he's really working for your good and his glory all along the way. So that's the first question. The second question is this, is maybe you're here and, and you do have God in your life. You're saying, you know what, I've made that decision. I've been following Jesus and that would be your description of it. And here's my question for you then, is do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust what he's doing? Do you trust him in the valleys? Do you trust him in the pits? Because you'll find next week when we get into the story how Joseph's faith really 
does get forged in the midst of all that he's going through. And so do you trust him with what you're going through? Enough to say, God, I trust you. And by trusting him, it doesn't mean that you have to like it. It doesn't mean that you have to be happy about it. It doesn't mean that you, you, know, you need to laugh. No, it just means that you're, you're trusting him along the way. God, I trust you with what you're doing in my life. So those are the two questions that I have. And along the way, we'll ask more questions. Because I know that God's up to something. Because I know he's up to something in my life. And I know he's up to something in your life. And I know that he uses all of those things in our life to mold and shape us. And I hope that all of us will get to the end of this and we will confidently say, as Joseph does at the end, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said, but basically he says this, I trust him. I trust him. And I trust what he's doing. Would you stand with me? I'd love to just pray over us before we go into this last song singing together as we close our time. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you for um, those here maybe who, who maybe haven't made that decision yet. They're, they're, they're wondering. They have some questions. God, I pray that you would bring them to that point today of choosing to believe in Jesus, who you sent for us. Father, I know there's people in this room I know there's people that are watching online. I know there's people at at River Ridge today. God, I know there's people that feel like they right now are in the pits. They are in the pits. And Lord, I pray that in the pits they they would learn more about you. I pray that in the pit that they would become more confident in who you are and what you're doing for them. I pray that in the pit that they would learn that they will gain one day by losing what it is today that they've lost. Because that's how you work. And that's how your economy works. Father, thank you so much for your promises that we can hold on to. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn along the way in Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.